Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Jordan. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Technology has always influenced how we work, from the introduction of the typewriter to the dawn of the internet. And since November 2022, we have seen another seismic shift in how we work with the introduction of ChatGPT and other artificial intelligence large language models. And like virtually every field, AI is having a profound impact on the legal profession. AI tools are speeding up document review and contract analysis, and large language models like ChatGPT have the potential to revolutionize the way we conduct legal research. However, it's important to understand the limitations of these tools and how to use them effectively to ensure that the information we rely on is accurate and reliable. Technology can augment our work, but it can't replace human judgment and expertise. This point was recently underscored when a lawyer in New York used ChatGPT for legal research and cited fabricated cases created by ChatGPT in their brief. The lawyer is now subject to sanctions. The appropriate use of large language models for legal information must be understood by not just lawyers, but also lay people who might find themselves in need of some legal insight or information and seek answers from ChatGPT. So on today's show, we'll discuss the limitations and best practices for using ChatGPT and other large language models for legal research by lawyers and laypeople. And we have joining us for this discussion three expert guests. We have Rochelle Reed. She is the Assistant Law Library Director here at NCCU School of Law. Austin Williams. Director of the Law Library and Professor of Law at Georgetown University School of Law and also an NCCU Law alum. And Shelley Deatter, Senior Professor of Legal Writing and Coordinator of the 1L Legal Writing Program here at NCCU School of Law. So thank you all for joining us this evening. So first we're going to start with the basics, right? Whenever we talk about uh, technology, you kind of have to start with technology 101. So first question is, what is ChatGPT? And kind of more generally, what are large language models? And so, um, Professor Reed, let's start with you. Good evening, and thank you for having me on your show today. Um, well, let's start with ChatGPT. Most simply, ChatGPT is conversational AI conversational artificial artificial intelligence is a new type of AI technology um, which can receive natural language questions or input um, also referred to as prompts and generate 
um, responses in a human-like simulated natural language format. Um, as you mentioned earlier, this generative technology, so it's a generative pre-trained transformer. That's the technical language of GPT, which simply means that we can really think of it as a chat box that has been taught to understand the context of um, human language, expressions and predictive language models through information and um, from data, data sets that have been curated from books, articles, um, other internet sources to respond to questions from innumerable disciplines um, and including law. So we're lucky that law is um, a part of the data that has been curated for this type of technology. Thank you, Professor Reed. And Professor Williams, we're all pretty familiar with chatbots when we're thinking about um, if you're going to a website and maybe you're purchasing something or you're going to a restaurant's website. So interfacing with these um, chatbots, but ChatGPT, of course, as Professor Reed has kind of noted, is much more expansive than that. Can you talk about why these large language models are so different and more advanced than the typical chatbots that we've been used to? Yeah, so one of the things there, um, ChatGPT in particular, is there's just a ma like uh, a massive amount of uh, underlying data that it's pulling from, and the way the algorithms have been um, configured, it's essentially there are. It probably seems like at times when you've seen ChatGPT, is like it's just how does it know all this? Uh, but it's it is working off of patterns and information and underlying information. And it's really, it's a, the way I've, it's, it's a probability engine. So it's essentially sort of based on everything that it's seen, which could come from articles or internet resources. It's then sort of estimating like a probability of what's the next what's the next word? And that's how it's sort of building out so that it looks like a conversation. Um, so that's where it's just very, uh, it's just very different than a lot of other chatbots because it is, it's pulling from a larger sort of uh, library, if you will, or data set than a lot of these other chatbots are. And then it is with the conversation generative, it, it is, it's sort of guesstimating based on what it's seen in the past, like what's the next word, what's the next word. And Professor Diatter, thank you, Professor Williams. Professor Diatter, you, of course, uh, instruct students on legal research, particularly students who are new to law school. So while they may be familiar with research kind of generally, legal research is its own beast. Can you talk about what legal research has traditionally looked like and what chat GPT is doing or may do um, in um, modify, modifying or elevating legal research. Uh, good evening, thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, in, in recent years, um, we have relied almost exclusively on proprietary databases like Westlaw and LexisNexis. And quite frankly, I don't see that ChatGPT can in any way replace those databases. Um, and so I would not recommend that students use ChatGPT in lieu of Lexis or Westlaw. Um, I have found it to be quite deficient um, in its research capabilities. 
Um, I asked it recently to provide me North Carolina cases pertaining to eyewitness identification and potential due process concerns. And it was very, it, it hedged and said, you should consult LexisNexis or Westlaw. And then it begrudgingly provided me with three real cases that I could potentially use to jumpstart my research. Um, and so for that purpose, it might give you a few sources to begin your research, uh, but it's hesitant to even do so. Uh, and it directs you to other more reliable sources. And you know, in fact, if I just went to the North Carolina courts website, which is free for anyone to, to search for cases, and I search eyewitness identification, it will give me a list of recent cases in North Carolina. And so I find that to be far more reliable than for ChatGPT to generate a list of case law. And in fact, when I asked it to provide me a scholarly article on eyewitness identification and due process concerns, it absolutely refused to give it to me. Um, it would not give me a single article. And so I'm wondering if, if at this point, the programmers have become more concerned about providing these quote unquote hallucinations of case law and law journal articles. And it's, it's at this point, it's refusing to give me that information. I even encouraged it further. I said, well, you have access to all information prior to September, 2021. You cannot provide me with a single article. And it said, no, I cannot give you an article. Um, and so at this point, you know, I would not encourage students, attorneys, or lay people to rely on ChatGPT to conduct um, legal research, particularly for those that do have access to uh, these other services like LexisNexis or Westlaw that are far more reliable and are creating their own um, AI-based research platforms. Well, let me just ask a kind of more global question before we get into the uh, narrow question of uh, legal research, and that has to do with artificial intelligence itself. Uh, especially in the news now, there is uh, this notion that uh, there are a lot of uh, advantages and benefits from auto artificial uh, intelligence, but there are a lot of dangers. And uh, some of the uh, people who are conversant in this area, talking about uh, the dangers of uh, extinction, the dangers of all kinds of chaos occurring uh, within uh, the world as we know it today. So since I have the three of you here, and you are experts in this topic, just what is your general view of the warnings that have been uh, circulating now about uh, artificial intelligence and what it will mean for uh, all of us uh, in the future. Uh, Professor Williams, since you are a visitor of sort, uh, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm not ready to say anything sort of like, uh, you know, Terminator or Skynet or anything like that. I think we're, um, where I would have some concern at this stage is that it, uh, especially with something like ChatGPT, you know, they even say uh, as part of their uh, their limitations that uh, on their website that it's currently not being trained on. There's no source of truth, 
So I, I think where I would have some concern with some of these uh, generative AI applications at this stage is what information is it pulling from? So every time you're searching, it's not pulling from every, you know, like everything that exists. It's, there is a, there's a box, if you will, where it's pulling information from. So what kind of biases are within the information that it's being provided? Uh, what kind of sort of biases are built into the algorithms that are used? So um, I think one of maybe right at this point in time, the scary thing is, is there might be an image of what we think it can do, but it's not, it's not really there. We may be giving it more credit right now than it actually deserves. And that might be the, that could be the danger with it. Um, certainly, I think, and as we'll probably talk about in more detail, there are going to be some benefits just like, you know, even uh, tools now that we, I mean, I'm sure some of you on the screen or some listeners might use Grammarly to go over emails and documents. And that's, you know, I think a lot of the generative AI will be able to help and assist with those types of activities. Um, but I don't know, I don't think it's, I, I don't think we're going to see on the scale again of like the Terminator or uh, or Skynet, where all of a sudden in three or four years time, it's taken over all of the uh, all of the jobs uh, that we have. So, that's a bad. Yes, I I actually looked up you know the definition of artificial intelligence in the dictionary, and it says the capability of a machine to imitate intelligent human behavior. And I think that's what we have to remember is that it is an imitation. If you chat with it, it sounds human. You know, it will say, I am so sorry. I apologize for any confusion my prior response caused. It sounds very human in a lot of ways. And I think that's a danger that, um, you know, we have to remember that it is not human. It is imitating human intelligence and that we should not you know, rely on it as any substitute for human intelligence, um, despite how impressive it might respond to certain questions. Professor Reed. I would really have to just add on to what Professor Williams and Professor Deatta have already said. And it's funny, I, I kind of laughed a little when um, Professor Williams gave the example of Skynet because that's the example that I always use when, <laughs> when I've had conversations about ChatGPT. I don't think that we are, or just AI in general, I don't think that we are there yet when it comes to a takeover of all humans and, you know, like Skynet trying to align, annihilate humans because the machines have taken over. I don't, I don't really think that we're there yet. But I do think that we are on the road, though, to seeing um, more usage of this particular type of technology um, as we just have everyday activities, everyday duties doing recipes and grocery lists and just how AI um, is just integrated into what we already do um, by way of just using um, our general search engines. Um, we're seeing this predictive technology just integrated on all levels. And so I do see that we will, or I do believe that we'll continue to see advancements in this area, but not to the extent that we are gonna have a takeover because these are machines. These are machines that we're relying on. And I do think that um, we as humans, as people have a leg up in terms of the ability to um, be discerning and to make some additional judgments when it comes to the information that's being um, put out by um, AI. 
Um, Professor Dieter, you had mentioned the proprietary databases that lawyers um, and legal scholars typically use, so Westlaw and Lexis, and both of the companies who create those products are trying to figure out, and in fact are, um, developing products that will be using generative AI. Can you talk about um, what we anticipate the legal research environment will be in light of companies um, utilizing large language models. So ChatGPT, of course, is just one of them. Um, it's widely available, um, as all of you all have talked about. The information that it's being trained on is very wide-reaching. The information that the model has that has access to is very wide-reaching. With the legal vendors, legal research vendors, um, more narrow in terms of the information that is being pulled from when responding to queries. Can you talk about what you see coming on the horizon when it comes to these types of um, vendors and, and tools, research tools? Yes, I'm very excited to see what they're able to do and the reliability. Um, because again, like with Lexis or Westlaw, it's not going to refuse to give me a source. And when it gives me a source, I will feel confident that it is providing an accurate source, that the case is real, that the journal article is real. I, those um, are well-established, well-vetted companies, and I feel comfortable that I can rely on what they are providing. And so the, the main benefit I think will be just more of a natural language search that will be available on those databases and its ability to generate documents as well, to write a client letter, to write a demand letter, to write a portion of a brief. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into them and seeing what they have to offer. And I feel confident that uh, they will be reliable. The downside is that not everyone can afford these databases. And so if you're a small uh, firm practitioner, solo practitioner, you, you will, might not have access to these databases. Uh, and so for those that do, they will have uh, an advantage. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Uh, we are talking with uh, three of our experts uh, this, uh, this evening about uh, artificial uh, intelligence. And artificial intelligence is something that is uh, kind of consuming uh, our nation uh, right now. And it is certainly something that is impacting the uh, legal community. We're talking with uh, Professor Rochelle Reed, who is the assistant Law Library Director at uh, North Carolina Central School of Law, uh, Professor uh, Austin Williams, who is the Director of the uh, Law Library and the Professor of Law at uh, Georgetown University School of Law, and uh, Professor Shelley Deadder, who is a Professor of Legal Writing and uh, Coordinator of the uh, 1L Legal Writing Program at North Carolina Central University. We're going to take uh, a break uh, right now, I want you to uh, stay with us as we uh, continue this uh, this discussion about this exciting uh, and to some dangerous technology uh, that we uh, uh, we're being confronted with. So uh, stay with us, and we'll be right. Hello, this is Kiana Woods, and I'm a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law. 
This week on the Legal Eagle Review, we discuss the limitations and best practices for using ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a natural language processing tool created by OpenAI, an artificial intelligence research laboratory, and released in November of 2022. The program is capable of having human-like conversations, which include answering asked questions and assisting in the composition of emails, essays, and much more. ChatGPT creators believe that the tool brings users closer to that reality by offering an unparalleled conversational experience, fueled by vast knowledge and understanding of the world. As ChatGPT possesses an understanding of various subjects ranging from history to science, art to philosophy, and more. The tool is currently open and free to use by the public as ChatGPT is still in the research and development phase. However, there is a paid subscription that was launched in February 2023 known as ChatGPT Plus. The difference between the subscriptions is the payment of $20 and promises of access to ChatGPT when the demand is high, faster response speeds, and priority access to new features when they become available. With the current growth of technology, ChatGPT is the next tool on the rise that may benefit this new day and age. This is Kiana Woods with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so uh, very much for staying with us as we uh, continue this discussion about artificial intelligence, uh, chat, uh, GPT, and the uh, large language uh, management uh, tools that's out there, which has been described by some people as uh, uh, machine imitating people. And uh, to a large extent, uh, I'm concerned about uh, when we get to the point that uh, people will be imitating the machine. Uh, But uh, here we are with uh, three experts uh, in this uh, area of uh, artificial uh, intelligence, uh, Professor Michelle Reed, who is uh, at North Carolina Central University School of Law and is the uh, law, assistant law library director, uh, Professor uh, Shelley Deatta, who is uh, a legal writing uh, professor and coordinator of our 1L legal writing program. And then uh, Professor Austin Williams, who is the director of the uh, law library at uh, Georgetown, uh, University School of Law and is a professor of law there, and uh, we happily claim him since he is a uh, an alum of uh, North Carolina Central uh, University. So legal eagles are out here uh, in force dealing with a very uh, uh, dangerous uh, uh, topic uh, to uh, to some extent. So starting us back, uh, how do you check? the uh, scope of what uh, chat GPT and these other artificial intelligence uh, technologies uh, are doing or providing uh, for people who will rely uh, probably 100% on what it is that uh, they present uh, as occurred in uh, the New York case where the uh, lawyer cited uh, and uh, provided to a judge arguments which had been provided to him uh, by the uh, chat GPT. So uh, again, let's start with uh, Professor Williams uh, on, on, on checking with and, and checking on the information that we receive. 
Yeah, so most of these, if you can find it somewhere in uh, on their website or term, you know, they will try to provide you at least with some information about where the information is being pulled from. Uh, but as we said in the earlier segment, you know, it's really just kind of built on kind of sort of guessing or estimating what should be the next logical word in the response. And and it's it can't really decipher what is good information, what is bad information. So I think if you're using one of these tools, you really want to know what what is the underlying data that it's pulling from? You know, is it the most recent information from you know 2021? Is it pulling from just publicly available sources? Is it pulling from some proprietary uh, sources as well? Um, and then when it spits out, you know, information to you, I think this is really where I worry about, you know, uh, at this stage, um, those who are not legally trained uh, using this, because we've even seen some who are legally trained who have not taken the, then the next step of actually verifying uh, what has been presented. Uh, so I, you know, I really think when you're using uh, using these tools, you really want to do your due diligence to start with of looking at the underlying information, if any is provided on the website about what are the sources of data that the generative AI is basically using to develop the responses. And then once you have those responses, I'm hoping that you have enough training in whatever area that is, but I know we're talking about law, where you can actually look at it and see, does this look correct or do I need to dive a little bit more or if it definitely if it gives you a citation and I have some examples even here at Georgetown where we've seen uh, students and uh, provide us with citations to articles that don't exist so I really think you want to do your homework on where what is it what data or set of information is it pulling from and then uh doing that extra due diligence to verify anything it gives to you. Professor Reed, what, what do you tell your students? Because you're in the training uh, part of this uh, educational journey. Uh, how, well, how do you, you know, help students that you are in contact with, and lawyers even, uh, how to uh, deal with and check on uh, the uh, correctness of what it is that they're receiving from uh, chat, uh, GPT, and other uh, sources of artificial intelligence. Thank you for this question. This is a huge concern of mine for laypersons, for novice researchers, as well as for more experienced attorneys. But <clears throat> excuse me, um, starting with what you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, what do we tell our students? A few things that keywords that I give them: trustworthiness, reliability, authenticity, verification. These are things that they must bear in mind, no matter where they're pulling their research from. That they have to consider the, the process of critical thinking as part of the research process. You can't ignore that step. You have to take the time to, um, to do some backup checking, some second checking, especially if we're coming from um, free sources. We're not using the proprietary data um, as Professor Deada mentioned in her earlier comments about um, from Westlaw, from Lexis, and from some more, some more reliable sources. So using something like um, generative AI, um, and we've been talking a lot about ChatGPT, but even looking at some of the other systems, I've run some searches in, um, in um, 
in MS in the MS version. I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> but um, I've run some sample searches in Bing Chat, and um, Bing Chat is really good for saying I'm not a lawyer. When you start asking more iterative questions and building on the process, I'm not a lawyer. I cannot give you legal advice. Um, but Bing does a slightly better job of providing some footnotes and some resources from where the information has been pulled from. Um, and knowing that it's built on the latest version of ChatGPT, of ChatGPT4. Um, so there are ways to kind of get the more accurate pulling from currency um, from the internet. That's another one of the keywords that I give my students. But you can't remove the step of thinking and analyzing the data. You can't remove that step from the process, else they'll find themselves in trouble before a judge trying to defend themselves because you know this information hasn't been fact checked. Um, when it comes to the layperson, I have more concerns for, for them because they aren't in a law school classroom getting training from a legal research or legal writing professor on best practices for um, accessing data, analyzing data, and how they can go about determining um, the authenticity of the information that they found. So I do have more warnings um, when it comes to laypersons and utilizing technology like this because they may not know about sources that they can go to to verify data um, and the information that they found. They typically don't have accounts for some of the proprietary sources like Westlaw and Lexis that are behind a paywall. Um, and so the best information that I can give them is to, you know, come to a library, take a look at some um, print sources, some other digital sources from reliable um, databases and start their research from scratch and don't rely solely on what the output of a machine has told you about the law or its own analysis of the law, because typically it's gonna leave out some important nuances, important steps, and may not be pulling from the most current information as well. Professor Dan. Well, one of my co-workers, Lisa Kamarchip, she's, she's great with analogies. And she said that doing legal research with ChatGPT is like using an office stapler to put shingles on a house. It, it might eventually get the job done, but it's not going to be pretty and it will probably blow away in a stiff breeze. <laughs> so the important thing is that we are the stiff breeze and not the court. Um, and so we have to vet everything that we produce. And that's also, as, as Professor Reed noted, that's also true for lay people who are proceeding pro se, for example. It is still, uh, the onus is still on them and, and practitioners as well to produce uh, to the court, candor to the court, and correct law and analysis to the court. Um, and in my personal opinion, as we're talking about essentially going backwards from ChatGPT and doing this research, to me that raises questions of efficiency. If we're having to essentially start from scratch to ensure that ChatGPT or some other source has given us correct information, why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps I should just start with doing my own research and then perhaps asking ChatGPT to maybe flag something that I could have missed in some way. At that point, I might know the right questions to ask it um, in order to help me fill in some holes in my own analysis. And so even if you don't have access to Lexis or Westlaw, if you're a North Carolina Bar Association member, you have access to FastCase, um, you have access to um, the North Carolina court website where you can pull all appellate cases in North Carolina. The same is true for other states. You can pull the cases. 
All statutes are available online. So these, these free resources are out there for you to conduct research. Even Google Scholar, I think, is more reliable um, than ChatGPT. Um, and so in my personal opinion, it seems less efficient to begin with ChatGPT and then step back and conduct your own legal research. And I think the appealing thing about ChatGPT that, that we've all kind of experienced and have been amazed by is that you can have what feels like a conversation and the responses um, come back in that same format. So, you know, before, even if you were just doing a Google search, you weren't getting a response, you were getting links to websites. So it is misleading in that you think one, that the information is accurate and credible, but it also removes some of the friction, especially for lay people, or as Professor Reed mentioned, novice, you know, researchers. Um, and so when we think about particularly lay people, and, and all of you have talked about the challenges related to access to legal information, right? So we've got these proprietary services that are, you know, costly, uh, that lay people don't generally have access to, although they may, and I'll have you all talk about um, the libraries and how um, the public can access that information. And they also don't have the training. So interfacing and interacting with chat GPTs, T seems like such an easy way to get the answer to your question. Can you all talk about, um, and you all have given some really great advice for lay people, but I'd like you all to kind of flesh it out a little bit more because of the appeal of chat GPT. What resources, and Professor Reed, I'm gonna start with you because we are a state institution. And as you mentioned, the public can come in. What can you flesh out a little bit more if someone has a legal issue, and we know there's a huge access to justice gap where there are those, a large percentage of those who need access to legal services can't find or afford an attorney. So they find themselves representing themselves, you know, rep, you know, being pro se. And that's not an ideal situation for anyone, including those folks who find themselves in that difficult situation. So when they have to do the legal research on their own, it's not what they would prefer to do, but it may be the situation in which they find themselves. So step us through, Professor Reed, how a person in that situation can utilize the resources that we have here in our library. Thank you for this question. Um, pro se litigants first have to realize that when they come to libraries for assistance, that typically legal advice cannot be provided. I have to say that because inevitably we have pro se um, litigants that will come in and not only do they seek guidance for the research, but they also seek advice. Um, so I would advise the public if you're coming to um, an academic or public law library to know that the library staff there is more than willing to give you guidance in terms of the types of resources that might be beneficial for your legal question, but that there are limitations in how much advice we can give. And we certainly are not able to interpret the law 
for the public. So that's something that we have to put out there for um, laypersons who may be listening to this show is that if you're coming to seek, um, seek assistance, to know that there are still going to be parameters around that assistance. Now, with that said, once laypersons come in, we do have um, several materials in print and electronic format that members of the public can access. We have a free open access catalog that um, the members of the public can take a look at, the resources that we have before they even show up in person. Um, but once they're here, we do have um, an academic version of Westlaw, for example, um, that members of the public can access when they're on campus, when they're here on site. Um, so they don't, um, they, they're not barred from accessing the content um, that's behind the paywall, but there's, it's just going to be more limited. Um, they will be able to, to see, um, to do some case law research, some statutory research, some of the more primary research, but there are going to be limitations on um, secondary sources that can be utilized to help inter interpret and analyze those sources. So it's going to be very limited. But we do have other sources like Hein Online. Um, and then as uh, Professor Deatter mentioned, we have the print versions of some of those case law reporters and statutes that might be accessible freely online, but we will have them in our library in print as well. And I can, and I I do advise that those are often beneficial for um, novice researchers to have that print experience because it gives them a bit more control over the research and understanding what it is that they're looking at at the moment as opposed to getting lost with the different resource types and not always being fully aware of the distinctions between the different types of primary law such as cases, statutes, regulations, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And Professor Williams, we know you are at a, a private institution and we want to get your thoughts as well about what resources the public can avail themselves to, uh, but we're going to have to take a quick break. And so when we come back, we'll, we'll turn it over to you. Um, you're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we are talking about AI, specifically generative text AI in the form of large language models like ChatGPT. And we have with us here in our Zoom studio three experts on the subject. Rochelle Reed, the Assistant Law Library Director here at NCCU School of Law. Shelley Deatter, Senior Professor of Legal Writing and Coordinator of the 1L Legal Writing Program here at NCCU School of Law. And Austin Williams, who is the Director of the Law Library and Professor of Law at Georgetown University School of Law and also a proud NCCU Law alum. We're going to have to take a quick break. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Shantae McNeil, and I'm a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. Our criminal justice system regularly punishes people in poverty. There are more than 600,000 people confined to local jails throughout the United States. Over 70% of those people are being held pre-trial, meaning they have not yet been convicted of a crime and are legally innocent until proven guilty, most times because they are unable to come up with bail money. The National Bail Fund's network website is frequently updated with listings of community bail funds that are dedicated to freeing people by paying bail and bonds, as well as fighting to abolish the money bail system and pretrial detention. To access the directory, check out www.communityjusticeexchange.org. This is Shantae McNeil with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. 
we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with experts who are sharing their information and insight about using ChatGPT and other generative AI large language models for legal research. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, Austin Williams, Director of the Law Library and Professor of Law at Georgetown University School of Law, Shelley Deatter, Senior Professor of Legal Writing and Coordinator of the 1L Legal Writing Program here at NCCU School of Law, and Rochelle Reed, Assistant Law Library Director here at NCCU School of Law. So right before the break, uh, Professor Reed was sharing with us resources that the general public can take advantage of here at NCCU School of Law in our law library. And Professor Williams, you are at Georgetown University School of Law. And so we want to have you share what resources you have available at your law library for the general public. Absolutely. So I know it's a bit of a drive for most people from North Carolina listening to this. And uh, unfortunately, we are not generally open to the general public to just come and walk in. But one of the things that we do uh, provide is if you uh, do a uh, Google search, Georgetown Law Library, free and low cost uh, research, we have a pretty robust uh, research guide that links to free and low cost um, legal research resources where you can find case law, statutes, administrative law, and even some secondary sources uh, and links to those that we have uh, vetted, uh, as well as we have guides for all um, uh, jurisdictions as well. So we have a guide on North Carolina that links to uh, free legal resources that are through there as well. So, um, so we do offer uh, those resources uh, if you're trying to find uh, any free resources for uh, legal research. And I'll also you know, emphasize again, um, maybe you're not close to a, um, a court or an academic law library, uh, but many uh, state uh, university libraries do offer a, an academic version of either Westlaw or Lexis. Uh, so per perhaps even if you're close to a, a smaller university or even a larger one, so maybe you're in Charlotte listening to us or maybe you're in Wilmington, uh, those university libraries may have access to the academic versions of Westlaw or Lexus. And while it's not exactly the same as the versions that attorneys are going to be using or law students, they are still pretty robust and have access to most of the uh, cases, statutes, regulations, and sometimes have a few secondary sources as well. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Professor Deatter, one of the things that you mentioned was um, that ChatGPT and these other large language models, generative text AI, can draft documents. And this is something, again, that I think many of us have in, in trying it out and seeing what it can do and can't do have experience and it can generate documents pretty quickly. Can you talk about as a legal writing professor whose um, job it is to support students as they are developing into strong writers, what your thoughts are about students using ChatGPT or, or any type of generative text 
um, AI model to produce content? Well, that's the big question that we have to resolve before before August. Uh, you know, it, Chat GPT it, it writes very well. I, it has proper grammar, syntax. It flows well. It can sound a bit stilted and mechanic, but it does write very well. And so I think we can probably use it as a tool. Um, again, my coworker Lisa March and I have talked about this ad nauseum. And uh, while I'm probably more fearful about it, she has brought up the excellent point that a lot of us are skilled writers because we have read so much good writing. And so to the extent that we can use the chat GPT's excellent writing to demonstrate to students what excellent writing looks like and kind of dissect it and why is this good writing? Why is this sentence clear and cogent? It follows the golden rule of subject, verb, object. That's why it's clear. And so we can use this uh, as a tool in the classroom. But what I have to caution students about is to not you know, rely on it, particularly for its analytical capabilities. Um, I have run numerous uh, you know, prompts through ChatGPT, and it is very deficient in its legal analysis. So while it writes well, it does not engage in analytical reasoning as lawyers have to engage in. It does not do that well at all. So while I might give it an A for grammar, I would give it a D for content in most instances. And so I think that we have to strike that balance of teaching students how to use it, um, but also cautioning them that it is not infallible. It is no substitute for human judgment. Um, they must engage in their own analytical reasoning and they are not to copy and paste anything from chat GPT. That would be, in my opinion, plagiarism because this is not your original thought. Um, and so I would certainly uh, caution students from, from doing that. But again, I think we can potentially leverage it and ensure that our students are practice ready uh, because they will have access to this in the legal profession and they need to use it wisely. Well, let me just raise, how can a layperson access uh, chat uh, GPT and some of these other uh, artificial intelligence platforms? Either one of you can answer. How, how would they access chat GPT? Yes. Well, they could go through any search engine to access chat GPT in its older iteration. If you want to access the current chat GPT 4, uh, you do need to go through the Bing platform to access that for free. Uh, you can also subscribe to ChatGPT4 for $20 per month uh, for unlimited, uninhibited access. Um, and so it is you know, readily available on pretty much any uh, search platform, even if it's in its older iteration. And I'll just quickly add um, openai.com would be the website um, users could go to to access the free older iteration that um, Professor Deatta was talking about. That would be GPT 3.5, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, through openai.com, um, they could subscribe to the plus version and that's the GPT 4 that she was referring to. So that would be the website um, just to give additional information as a, on a point of reference. Um, and then for those who may be interested in Bing, um, you have to make sure you have the um, search engine for Microsoft Edge 
loaded onto your um, browser. And from there, as Professor Deada mentioned, you can pretty much just search for it and um, it'll, it'll ask you to set up an account. And so it's pretty easy to access by the general public for all of those platforms. Google also has its own um, version now, um, Google Bard, um, and that too can just Google it <laughs> and, um, and access it. <laughs> Professor Deada has uh, talked about the more accurate information that's provided by Lexus and uh, Westlaw as a uh, uh, information source uh, for people generally, not only lawyers, but uh, others. Um, and, uh, and I understand that both of them now are connected with uh, uh, artificial uh, intelligence. Is, uh, will they be uh, improvements on what is available now such that there is a, in, in, an increased uh, reliability uh, on what uh, is produced by those uh, learning uh, uh, tools that's available? Uh, let me just start with Professor Deada uh, there since she uh, talked so much about Lexus and Westlaw. Yes, absolutely. They will be far more reliable uh, because, for one thing, they will not produce fake sources. Um, you know, any case law statute that it provides, I am confident, will be accurate. Um, also, while I have not dug deeply into it, we you know, we always have to remember that you know, we owe our clients um, a you know duty of confidentiality, and Chat GPT is not does not uh, maintain a confidential database, in fact. So we have to be very careful, but I believe that Lexus and Westlaw will have systems in place to help maintain client confidentiality. Um, so in those two respects in particular, um, I think it will be uh, far more advanced. And even in its generative abilities, I believe it will produce um, a much more um, concise and clear documents such as client letters or memos, um, I believe it will be far superior to ChatGPT. Well, Professor Reed or Professor Austin, you want to add to that? I agree wholeheartedly with what Professor Diada just said. Um, yeah, I do believe that between um, Westlaw and Lexus, their systems would be more, far more superior as the technology continues to advance. Um, we already see now with um, Westlaw's new generation, Westlaw Precision, that um, their integration of AI is allowing for more predictive answers to be provided to researchers when they're entering search terms and more um, natural language searching um, yielding results that are far more accurate and relevant even to what we may have seen with, um, with the earlier um, generations um, of Westlaw. Um, so I do believe that with the information they already have built into those systems, with the expansiveness of the information that's available, particularly with additional um, tools such as practical law, Westlaw practical law, and Lexis um, guidance, that they already have the forms, the templates, the information is, is there. It's just now we're waiting for it to all be connected, right? And for um, for this newer technology um, to be integrated more. Um, so I do believe that we'll have um, more opportunities for accurate information to be available. And just the thing I would add is I think we're going to see uh, more reliable because the the box that it's pulling from is a lot smaller. Where ChatGPT is pulling from 
an entire range of different resources. You know, Lexis and Westlaw, at least what we've seen, I'd say, you know, Lexis is going to be pulling from those sources that are on Lexis. So already right there's our, there's a little bit more of a reliability to it. And then um, if Lexis in the responses are also including links to citations, then, you know, as good researchers and attorneys, you're going to want to click through to look at that. Um, and, you know, the thing I kind of think about or when doing this is a lot of attorneys, you know, they go to law firms and there's probably brief banks or, you know, when you're doing research and there's form books, you never take anything at just sort of this is what is spit out. And I think that's what we'd have to do with uh, these generative AI responses as well as once they're with these, you know, built into these better systems, you're still, you still need to do your due diligence to take that next step. Uh, so even once they're more fully integrated into Lexis and Westlaw, I, you know, I would treat these as starting point. Um, and thankfully, uh, I would expect with these systems, they're going to provide links to sources within them where you can then do that, that deeper research. And I would assume that these um, expanded models in the proprietary databases will also allow for exposition on cases. So one of the, again, the, the appeals of ChatGPT is you can have a what feels like a conversation. You can ask for a summary of you know, something. So my daughter was doing um, her orals on a project that she's working on related to machine biology. And she sent me her proposal, which I could not understand at all. And I actually took her summary and I put it in chat GPT and I said, read this and then summarize it so that a middle schooler could understand it. And then I was able to understand it. And so when we think about the complexity of law, particularly for folks who are not trained in the law, do you all see a value in large language models being able to provide additional information or information in a form that can be more readily accessible to those who um, are either not an expert in that particular area or who are not legally trained? Uh, Professor Williams, let's start with you. So they, uh... I definitely like the idea of being able to summarize and kind of break things down more, but what does worry me uh, a bit is uh, twofold is, that let's say the, the layperson who's not legally trained, uh, I would not want to use this as a way to uh, provide assistance to someone else. Like, you know, I'm pretty good with computers. Let me put, you know, like here, you know, I, we don't want to get into an unauthorized practice of law situation where all of a sudden you're giving out legal advice to other people and you're not an attorney. I actually also worry, and I'm sure some on the screen might be more versed in this area of, um, of just the, the ethics around uh, competence and, uh, and even trained attorneys uh, using this as a way to maybe start to dabble in areas that um, they have not fully studied in. So there's the whole like, you know, adequate representation in a novel field through necessary study. Uh, Chat GPT and some of these, I do not think are going to give you that necessary study. And so I would just be very cautious, even with trained attorneys as well, about using this as potentially a way to get into areas that you're not fully trained in. 
<laughs> Professor Reed. I agree that this is still early enough in, in development that we, we just can't rely on it um, for laypersons and for trained attorneys, for law students, for other legal professionals. I think that we just have to proceed with caution. And I mean, I think that's with anything that's new. It takes time for the kinks to be worked out, for um, it to develop and to advance more. You know, if we're talking a few years down the road and for as quickly as we've gotten into the new generations of chat GPT, maybe by the end of the year, who knows? <laughs> but I do think that um, even 10 years from now, we can't replace the human judgment. I just, I just believe that that's something that's a, a very important element to um, researching and we can't rely solely on what a machine has provided us. We have to be able to think critically about information, apply our analysis to it, verify the sources that we have found and to ensure that the authenticity of the information is something that we can rely upon on a court, in a court of law or even in transactional um, duties um, or interactions with clients. And Professor Deatter, you have the last word on this. I don't have a whole lot to add to that, except just to, to reiterate, you know, while it might provide wonderful definitions for legal terms, and it might um, direct you to sources, again, it is not a substitute for human analysis. And we should not, and particularly lay people should not rely on it as a substitute for legal counsel. And even ChatGPT will tell you that. And so let's Let's take its advice and make sure that, that you're, you're consulting an attorney. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thank you all for your, your comments and your insights. And I think it's wholly appropriate for us to emphasize why it is, it continues to be so important that we address the access to justice issue. Because for some, it appears as though ChatGPT will provide necessary guidance, but as all three of you have so eloquently um, expressed, there is no substitute for a trained lawyer being able to provide that counsel and judgment. Unfortunately, the way our legal system and our legal profession currently exists, there are far too many folks who do not have access to lawyers. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but we want to thank our guest, Rochelle Reed, Assistant Law Library Director here at NCCU School of Law, Austin Williams, Director of the Law Library and Professor of Law at Georgetown University School of Law, and also a very proud NCCU Law alum, and Shelley Deatter, Senior Professor of Legal Writing and Coordinator of our 1L Legal Writing Program here at NCCU School of Law. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. And we hope you've learned something, that you've enjoyed the show, and that you'll share this information with your family and friends. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you missed this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, Stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.